just thought of kings Better than diamond rings That's why we're here to sing Football Sunday in the snow With a breeze whistle blows We've been warriors toe to toe Football 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 Yes, yes, people. Welcome along to another North London 40. Woo! My name is James Hamlin. My name is Inye Benito. It is the week before the big one. Super Bowl Sunday is this Sunday. Live Sunday, from Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> thought you were going to do that in Happy Days voice then. <laughs> uh, Sunday is the game. Narlins. Kickoff is... God, I don't even know what time 11.30 coverage starts over here. So you're looking at kickoff, I don't know, midnight-ish. Yes. But don't worry about that. It's not the midnight run. Your bosses know it's the Super Bowl. They're going to let you come in a little bit later. And we're not just going to break this down on our own over one hour. It's too big of a thing to do by ourselves. It is. There's too many stories. There's too much Ray Lewis. There's too much Big Cap. There's too much Harbaugh. There's too much everything. So this week we're going to be extending North London 40 into two parts. We'll be dropping one now, so now is very late Monday, early Tuesday, you're picking this one up, and we're going to be dropping another pod on Wednesday. That one shall be subtitled The Secret of Ooze. So anyway, so a couple of special guests on today's pods we have from the Radio 5 coverage of the Super Bowl, ex-Super Bowl winner and Super Bowl ring owner and ex-Ultra name linebacker Rocky Boyman, he'll be on the show later on as well. We wanted to bring back one of our favourite guys and our first ever guest to North London 40. That's Joe Cohen, our Browns fan and London Blitz coach. He's going to be on in a bit. Mm-hmm. So stick around for that. And on Wednesday's podcast, we're going to be bringing back one of our another one of our favourite guests throughout the season from UK NFL. Jamie Cuttridge will be here. And also one of the best media coverage pundit guys in the business you will find anywhere he's covered five super bowls for the bbc he's now doing mls and potentially epl for nbc in the states that is and he's also doing usmnt which is u.s national men's football team (laughs) but sounds like teenage mutant ninja turtles he is arlo white so jamie and arlo will be joining us on part two of this pod that's going to come out on wednesday so make sure you open your eyes and ears for that one before it drops Bit of housekeeping before we get into this. At NLDN40 on the Twitter. Love the Twitter. Lots and lots of Twitter this week. Building up to the Super Bowl. Tomorrow is media day. So there's bound to be tons and tons of stuff coming out of that for sure. NorthLondon40.tumblr.com. Mixcloud.com forward slash NorthLondon40. NorthLondon40 at gmail.com. All the channels. Get in touch with us. Check us out. All that type of stuff. This is Super Bowl week. This is what it has been all about for weeks. It's the big one. All the marbles. Two teams enter. Right, so, guest time on North London 40. So we were thinking about who we wanted to get on as a guest this week. Okay. And we were thinking about, right, we've got the big game, we've got mm-hmm. the Super Bowl on Sunday. It'd be really good to get someone that's played in a Super Bowl, it would it? It would be perfect. And as Brits here in the UK are trying to figure out how they're going to consume the Super Bowl, what yep. type of medium they're going to use to consume it, how they're going to listen to it, absorb it, use it online. thought it would be great to get someone that's actually going to be involved in the coverage. Yes. That would be really good. And also, on the light of last week's enormous, biggest media story of, sports media story of the year. A story that crossed over to every single facet of media over here as well. Including the Daily Mail. We thought it would be great to have somebody that had an insight, maybe somebody that, that was close to the Notre Dame community as well. We thought it would be good to get someone that maybe had that perspective. Mm-hmm. The good news is we've got someone that's got all three. Welcome into North London 40. He's covering Super Bowl on BBC Radio 5 Live. This Sunday night he is a Super Bowl winner with the Indianapolis Colts in 2006 and he is an ex-Notre Dame linebacker. Welcome to North London 40. Rocky Boyman, how's it going? Good, fellas. Glad to be with you. And, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I got the trifecta, the Super Bowl, the coverage, and Notre Dame. So it's good. <laughs> Certainly is. Right, so let's start with the Super Bowl. You were a Super Bowl winner in 2006 with the Indianapolis Colts. Rocky, we're on the Monday. Uh, the big game is on Sunday. What are the players up to? What's their schedule dictating to them now, the week leading up to the biggest game of their American football lives? Well, I'll tell you what we did when I was a member of the Colts, and, and I'm sure – the 49ers and Ravens are doing something similar, and that's try to keep everything exactly the same as, as possible 
as it would be for any other game. Now, being in the Super Bowl, that's obviously a very, very tough thing to do. But uh, what Coach Dungy told us to do was, hey, look, if you go out to dinner on Monday night, then go out to dinner You know, when you're down at the Super Bowl. If you stay in, stay in. If you go to a bar and drink five beers, then go to a bar and drink five beers on Monday. You know, Kind of keep your schedule the same. And then it, it, it's obviously, again, a tough thing to do because there's so much media attention and so much just distractions down there. But uh, I'll tell you what, the guys, uh, and, and both these coaches, both Harbaugh's are great, so I'm sure those guys – um, have those those teams both those guys both those teams focused and today they'll probably is just more of a travel day uh, tomorrow is obviously the huge media day so there's no practice or anything getting going on tomorrow but then starting Wednesday it'll be like a normal week a normal Wednesday a normal Thursday and then a normal Friday and on into Sunday can you just describe media day now even in the seven years since 2006, obviously media has gone off in a completely different direction with the advent of social media and stuff. But can you try to describe the listeners the circus that was media day for you? What actually is involved and what are some of the ridiculous questions you get asked from all corners of the globe? Well, well you hit the nail on the head when you said circus. I mean, cause that's exactly what it is. For, first of all, you're, you know, you're getting interviewed by people in languages you've never heard of and, and things like that. And, it, it kind of becomes a spectacle because there, there's so much media there. There's only so many stories that are involved in this game. So, so people try to trump the other media outlet by asking some ridiculous question and trying and hoping, hoping to get a ridiculous answer that will be some sort of a newsworthy type, uh, type situation. So you definitely get everything from the bizarre to the strange to the outright ridiculous. In terms of questions, but you know, you just kind of got to have fun with it. And, and I know those guys are, and you know, part of it's kind of a grind because you're answering the same questions, you know, hundreds of times over. Mm-hmm. But uh, you, you have fun with it. And uh, I, I guess from my looking back, I got interviewed by a puppet um, during media day in Spanish. <laughs> in Spanish, a puppet in Spanish. So if that gives you an idea of how bizarre the uh, the media day is, that, that's that's a little bit a uh, little bit of an idea. So um, I was just wondering, how long is the whole media day? Like, how many hours is it combined? Now they really limit it because um, you know they want they don't want guys being there all day. But uh, I want to say it's probably two hours where we're, you're actually on the field or, or in your booth. You know, I want you know a lot of the, the, the star players got their own booth where you know uh, the, the media and the camera and stuff can come up. But it's a couple hours. But during those couple hours, there it's nonstop. New Orleans, one of the biggest, or should I say New Orleans, one of the biggest party towns in the world. Players now with the advent of camera phones and social media and things like that, can they get out in New Orleans this week or is that really tough for them to do? No, I I think they can for sure. And and I imagine those coaches won't, uh, you know, they're not going to babysit these guys and, and give them curfew and stuff like that. These are grown men and I just think they would hope and I know they've addressed each team and say, look, you know, be smart here. You got you got your the rest of your lives to enjoy parties and to enjoy going out and all that. But let's make sure we we remain focused on this game. With that said, you know some guys are are going to go out and, and that's perfectly fine. And and I think you will. That's something we didn't have when I played. Is the you know the the proliferation of all the camera phones and the twitters and the mm-hmm. facebooks and things like that. So I think it's great for fans that that really love that inside view of what the players are seeing at all times. I think there'll be some great shots, some great uh, video clips, and some great pictures in really one of the best towns in America, that being New Orleans. It's such a great atmosphere down there. I've been down there a couple times, uh, obviously not not in the, for the Super Bowl, but it's a great town and a, a very passionate city. This is all part of the build-up. Someone is bound to put their foot in it with a bold prediction or some kind of media snafu this My week. My money's on Randy Moss. There you go. It's been too quiet all season. <laughs> You're absolutely that's, right. That's a pretty good bet. <laughs> You're absolutely right. So keep an eye on social media channels, the NFL Network, um, people like Rocky on Twitter, because that's a great way to find some real entertaining stuff that's going to happen this week. It's all part of it. Rocky, we mentioned the Super Bowl. Just tell the listeners briefly, you've won a Super Bowl. How did that experience change your life? Winning the Super Bowl is more of a relief than it is a joy at the time. When we won the AFC Championship game to go to the Super Bowl, that was pure elation because that, that's the realization of your dream your entire life. I play, I started playing football when I was seven years old, you know, full contact football when I was seven. And to go to a Super Bowl is, is every kid's dream. And so, you, you know, when you win the AFC Championship game to go 
It's pure elation. But when you win the Super Bowl, and, and a lot of guys will attest to this as well, it's more relief. You, I mean, you're going, thank God we didn't get all this way and lose. Because I, I couldn't imagine, you know, you play, uh, including preseason, you play 24 games to get to that, that pinnacle moment. And, you know, the old saying goes, no one, no one remembers who lost the game. Everyone remembers who won the game. So it's, it's, it's definitely, uh, but then, you know, as the weeks and the, and the months and, and years go by after that, you obviously think very fondly upon those memories because people remember who won the Super Bowl in that particular year. And if you're a part of it, you know, that's, that sure is a heck of a thing. Absolutely is. So let's move on to this game. Rocky, you are part of the broadcast team that is broadcasting this on Radio 5 Live, part of BBC's coverage. They're doing TV stuff with Mike yep. Carlson and Willie McGuinness. Coming over for that, they're doing Red Button stuff. HD as well. HD you? as well. There you go. Have that. And no adverts. Yes. BBC, so I so believe. <laughs> so you guys are doing the radio part of the coverage. If anyone hasn't listened to you guys on the radio before, do you want to take a little bit of time just talking about the presentation, what they can expect to hear from you guys, and why people should check it out? Well, I'll tell you what, um, it's, it's obviously a real honor for me. This is the second Super Bowl I've done. And to do it with, uh, with Darren Fletcher, uh, who, uh, and I've worked with a lot of play-by-play guys, and I think he is truly brilliant, uh, at what he does. And, and the good thing is, he and I have worked a lot together. We did, we called, um, you know, three games last year. We called a couple games this year. And then we also, uh, did together the, the Monday Night Football show. Um, that, that the BBC um, started this year. And so he and I have gotten a really great rapport together. I, you know, he kind of knows me and I kind of know him and we kind of know what direction to take. And, and I think together we can really bring the audience a great experience. And, and, I, and I do TV and I do radio, but I, I honestly, I really love doing radio because it's theater of the mind. I think if, you know, if we do it well, which we will, I think the listeners will get a great visual experience of what we're seeing and what we're smelling, what we're hearing, and, and they'll get a great experience and listen to this game. And I know uh, we're going to do a great job because, again, I, I got one of the best co-hosts uh, in the business in Darren Fletcher. How is radio coverage and TV coverage different for this particular sport? Lots of the listeners here will be more experienced probably watching this uh, sport on TV mm-hmm. versus the radio. You as a broadcaster, how is it different? How do you go about it? Is it much more difficult? Do you need to research it more? What's, what's the knack to it? It's, 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 I wouldn't say it's more difficult. It's, it's just different because obviously you have to explain things a lot more. So for me, it's almost better because... You know, when there's a, a three-yard pass up the middle and the guy gains five yards, the viewer can see that. You know, you don't, there's not much describing you have to do, especially if it's not that interesting of a play. But during, on radio, you have you have to give that the listener that experience. You have to, you know, you have to tell them what yard line it was on and, and who was in the coverage and what defense they were playing. And you, so you really, again, I, I get a lot of joy out of doing radio, and and I think that's, Again, being it, it's, it's theater of the mind. So when, when, a, when a, a listener, whether they choose TV or radio, I think through radio, you get that experience. And again, of, of a guy who's played 22 years of football and a guy that's been broadcasting a lot of games and Darren and, and we're, you know, we really do a good job, I think, and we will of, of giving that visual experience, of making the, that what you're listening, making that visual. There's also like a, an incredible tradition of radio broadcast in, in the States, especially in, in sports such as baseball. Um, Rocky, I was wondering, uh, what is your favorite piece of radio commentary? Listen to baseball games on radio. We, we got um, here, I live in Cincinnati, Ohio, and a guy named Marty Brenneman has been the, the, the Reds broadcaster for over 30 years. And he used to have a team, a guy, um, a color guy named... Uh, Joe Nuxall, and for over 30 years, these guys were, I mean, they're, they're legends here in town. They're both Hall of Famers in terms of broadcasting. So, again, I, it's kind of one of those things you think back to childhood and listen to those games or, or you know, or listening to, you know, Howard Cassell on, 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 the, on the radio and things like that. So it, it's definitely a cool thing. Theatre of the mind, people. You heard it. You want a way of defining this medium? Theatre of the mind. Mm-hmm. And to go with what will be the biggest sporting occasion on earth, should make for a great combination, that's for sure. Let's move on to this game, Rocky. Mm-hmm. What's your take on it? We're hearing in one ear it's going to be a close-fought defensive battle. Other people are saying no. Tons of points in the first half. The brothers know each other. Give us your perspective on how you see the game right now and what the listeners and the viewers can expect on Sunday. 
Well, for me, uh, one of the most interesting parts about this game is kind of, in terms of offensively, it's kind of the the old school offensive way of thinking versus the new school line of offensive thinking. Okay, so you got Joe Flacco. He is a traditional drop back passer, the the, the Ravens quarterback, traditional drop back passer. You know, not a, a real run threat kind of guy, and they run a traditional pro style offense. But then on the 49ers side, you got this young kid, uh, 22 years old named Colin Kaepernick, who's really, you know, kind of changing the way the NFL game has been played. He's more of a college style quarterback, you know, with more of the read option and the running things that he does. But now you're seeing this more and more in the NFL. And here we got quote unquote a college style quarterback now playing in the Super Bowl. And, and, and obviously, to label him as a college-style quarterback is unfair because he's, he's, br- he's a brilliant thrower. He's got an absolute cannon for an arm. But, but I think it's going to be interesting to see, for me, wh- what, what's going to is it Is it the new way of thinking or is it the old way of thinking that's going to win out in this game? So I think, I mean, I'm, I'm tremendously excited about what's going to unfold in that aspect right there. Rocky, make a great point. And this quote-unquote new way of thinking in the sport. And in this country, as you know, this sport is still growing. There's lots of people that are getting into this sport for the first time. And this season can be one of the first springboards they've had to in, um, envelop themselves in this sport. So, as And they may have seen for the first time players of the standard of Colin Kaepernick, Robert, Robert Griffin III, Russell Wilson, doing these incredible game-changing things. So the people that have seen this versus the traditional pro-style quarterback like a Joe Flacco, and there's nothing wrong with that, mm-hmm. that has been the tradition in the league over the past X amount of years. If it ain't broke. Try to put this in a context for us. We've got these players. Is this a flash in the pan? Is this like the wildcat offense? Or is this something that, right, this game is going to change and become even more exciting as a result of these quarterbacks due to their age and the way they're going to be playing this game? Well, you're absolutely right, and I'll tell you what, you, you, you hit the, the nail on the head, and you also asked the million-dollar question, and that is, is this style of offense here to stay? And, and I honestly, I go back and forth on it daily. I'm a, you know, I, I'm a football historian. I, you know, I think I know a lot about the game, having played it a while and, and studied it in my life. And, uh, I, you know, part of me, you know, you know, before the, the, you know, the Russell Wilsons and the RG3s and the Colin Kaepernicks came along, I was of the line of thinking that, Look, a college-style running quarterback will never have success, long-term success in the NFL. And, and we've seen, you know, Vince Young came on and for a couple years he was he was good, and then people figured him out. And Michael Vick was great, a great running-style quarterback, but then people figured him out. But I think with these young quarterbacks and RG3, even Andrew Luck and Colin Kaepernick and Russell Wilson, I think what we're seeing with them compared to some of the others in the past is they are great above-the-shoulder guys in terms of I'm talking about their football IQ and their smarts, their intelligence. And so they're not just running-style quarterbacks, but they're combining that with now a deeper understanding of how defenses are run, a deeper understanding of the offensive scheme, and you throw in the fact that they're, they also got great arms. It could lead you to believe that this is something that, that could be here to stay. And, I mean, in the speed of which that they run has never been seen before. And, and Colin Kaepernick will be one of the fastest guys, if not the fastest guy on that football field on Sunday. And that's saying a lot. So I, I think it all comes down to this for me, and that is talk about injuries to the quarterback. I mean, and that's what always what stops um, college-style quarterbacks from having success in the NFL. It's the injuries they take. If they can find a way to not take the hits, and now you combine that with the fact that all the NFL rule changes every year and for the past really five or ten years have been protecting the quarterback. So now all of a sudden, ten years ago, you got a league where you can just unleash on the quarterback. Nowadays, you can't do that. You're going to be facing a fine or a penalty or, or both. So now, with a little more leeway, I could see an instance where these running-style quarterbacks could have a little bit longer longevity and could wind up being the thing of the future. Well, you're right, and you just need to look at the two parallels between Colin Kaepernick and RG3. RG3, we all saw it, left the playoffs in a stretcher, right? And one of the reasons was that Washington didn't have the options and the weapons for him to use. He had to carry that team pretty much on his back. Yes, he had a good running game, but he was always all. He was so yes. much part of the offense. Yes. However, with Colin Kaepernick, one of the things that we've seen is he hasn't been touched the last two games, mm-hmm. let alone hit, because they don't know if he's got the ball, doesn't have the ball, and has so many other weapons to use. Him as a threat, 
was the weapon that won the game for them in Atlanta. Well, you're absolutely right because you look in Green Bay when he wrapped up those, uh, I believe it was 183 rushing yards in that game, and I think it was 174, you know, without being touched, you know. Yeah. So, um, and and obviously it was a little bit different in in the Falcons game. The Falcons made an effort to take that that running option away, and and that's why the, the spread option is is really is, a, is such a tough thing, and I've defended against it, and it really is a frustrating thing. Because they're basically, when you run the option, you're blocking somebody without blocking them. You're, you're using, you know, whether, you know, the option read as, you know, so no one's actually touching the guy, but therefore, but he still can't get to the ball carrier. You know, it's a very frustrating thing. Um, but I, I think the key in all this is going to be, and, and it, it, I don't think we'll find out Sunday, but we'll find out next year when Colin Kaepernick, first of all, Teams are going to have, we talk about Russell Wilson, Colin Kaepernick, RG3. Teams are going to have a full year of tape on these guys, of, of football film. And these coaches are going to do nothing all offseason but watch this tape and figure out little nuances of how we can defend against this. Couple that with the fact that, okay, Colin Kaepernick has played in nine games. I want to see him play a, a 16, 20-game season and then, then, and then do that for two, three, four years. Then I'll be a believer of if a quarterback can stay healthy running the ball like that. Because sooner or later, he's going to take a shot. And these guys in the NFL are a lot bigger and a lot faster than in college. He's going to take a shot at some point. And when he does, is he going to be able to be that guy that can stay healthy and have a career like a Brady or a Manning who, you know, a 10, 12, 15, 18 year career? We'll, again, we'll see. It makes for an absolutely fantastic game on Sunday. That's just one of the many exciting elements that are going to be taking place there. Rocky, tell the listeners, how can they check you out in the coverage? Where can you be found? What time do you guys start? What's the best way of listening to you guys? Yeah, we'll be on uh, BBC, BBC 5 Live, and um, we'll be starting at 11 a.m. Eastern in the United States. Now, I don't know what that is over there. I want to say it's it was a five hours difference. Basically, Throughout the rest of the day, I'm going to have uh, about 10 Red Bulls, and I'm going to be on the air from about 11 a.m. to about uh, about 10, 9 or 10 p.m. after the game. I'm, I'm looking forward to every second of it. So, you know, I was tune in, listen to that game. We'll be breaking down the matchups. I'll be giving you know, we'll be giving predictions. We'll be answering tweets, emails, the whole thing, and we'll really give a comprehensive coverage. We'll be going all day uh, broadcasting this game before it, during it, and after it. And I think it we're really I encourage listeners to tune in because I'm really excited about this game and I think uh, we're going to deliver a great one. Rocky, whilst we got you on the podcast, we can't let you leave without touching on this subject and we covered it in mass detail uh, <laughs> last week and I'm sure you've been asked all sorts of questions around this and we're not expecting you to come up with conclusive answers because I don't think anyone is capable of doing that so far <laughs> as yet. But Rocky, you had a very high-profile career at Notre Dame. You played in the linebacker position. Mante Teo, he may have even used your locker for all we know. Uh, um, <laughs> Hope not. Just give us your take on the story. And maybe from, you obviously have a lot of friends, people that you um, grew up with at Notre Dame. What's the general feeling? First, let me say, when I first heard the story, I, I turned to my buddy and I said, I've officially heard it all in my life. Just when you think <laughs> you've heard it all, Something like this comes out. And, and, and I'll, I'll tell you what I've been telling people. I mean, people ask me every day, and that is, well, I, I agree that he was, he was duped into this situation. And, and he was tricked and the whole deal. I'm a, I'm a personal responsibility guy. I, I'm not a blame guy. I, I think people gotta take personal responsibility in life. And I think at some point, he's a 22 year old man, and when he's being interviewed on national television about his girlfriend, I think at some point he should have to say, okay, look, in, in all fairness, while I do have a relationship with this girl, we have, in fact, never met in person, okay? Mm -hmm. So continue with your questions, but I just want to get that out there. <laughs> so, I, you know, but I, either he, he didn't do it because I, I think of a lot of things. I, I think, you know, he got caught up in the in the hype and the, in the media attention that he was getting, but it's a very deceiving thing. And, and they, again, I, I gotta, you got to lay some responsibility on him. As a 22-year-old guy, that he's got to come come clean about something like that. I think in America, I'm not about the UK, but personal responsibility is is something that is dead in America, and, and everyone wants to put the blame on somebody else. So I was tricked, I was duped, this and that. Well, maybe, but you have you have a hand in that a little bit, and you should have been a little bit more forthright with everyone. What's Notre Dame's position on this, Rocky? Are they just quickly trying to distance themselves from the play? Because obviously his success was 
so huge for them this season yeah, in yeah. terms of the profile that it brought to the program. Notre Dame was back after so many years of not being in the headlines so much. What did Notre Dame do? Are they, are they distancing themselves from the story? <laughs> because he's still well, a student there in theory, right? Yeah, well, let me just, let me just say this. Uh, the head coach, Brian Kelly, doesn't want to touch Manti Teo with a 10-foot pole right now. He is, <laughs> he is literally not even remotely talked about the issue. He wants to be as far away of that as possible. Notre Dame community, I, I think now everyone just kind of wants to get away from it. I, I was surprised at the, um, uh, the athletic director, Jack Schwarbach. Um, he came out very early in this story with a very impassioned, tear-filled, basically protection of Manti Teo and saying, look, that, you know, that he did not know what was going on and, and this and that. And I thought he went uh, very much overboard on that because now, you know, his job and his life and his reputation is on the line because he stuck up for a guy that, I mean, in all, in all reality, it's kind of come out that this guy knew what was going on a little bit. And while he was duped and this and that, he was not, um, a victim of, prolificating this lie and keeping it going on. So I was surprised at the athletic director about how far on the fence he came out for Manti Teo, and I think he, he obviously regrets that now. But in terms of the Notre Dame community and talking with folks, I, I think everyone uh, just wants to let just wants to see this thing go away. I don't want to hear any more phone records. I don't want to hear any more text message, <laughs> message transcripts, and uh, hopefully this thing will go away. Well, and, well, and, 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 you know, it, and I said this, and – and, and I, you know, to all my, you know, young people that, that follow me on Twitter and Facebook and all this, I said to you, to young folks out there, realize this, the truth always comes out. In this world, especially we live in now, the truth always comes out. So if you live your life right and you're truthful, you got nothing to worry about. So that's my, that's my soapbox speech for the day. Well, unfortunately, um, I just looked at the TV guide, and um, Dr. Phil is covering it tomorrow. And then we've got oh Oprah, and then we've got all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, let's all let's all move on. I think college football's reputation, due to the problems at USC, due to the problems at Penn State, have generally been in the toilet. And the the story at Notre Dame was such a positive in that. And as you say, let's try and move on, and you know, focus on the Super Bowl, and focus on the NFL draft, and focus on next season. I think is the best best use of everybody's time. Amen to that, Rocky. How can the listeners connect with you? You mentioned a couple of social channels. How can they connect with you and, and follow what you're up to and maybe interact with you online, not only during Super Bowl week, but um, into the rest of the year? Yeah, absolutely. Other than tuning in to BBC, BBC Five Live, um, I'm also on Twitter. I'm Rocky Boyman 50 which is just my name and my number. So it's R-O-C-K-Y-B-O-I-M-A-N-50. Um, so you can check me out on that. I, I got a I tell you what, I'm very honored to have a tremendous UK following on my Twitter, and I take a lot of pride in that. I, I really enjoy delivering this game that I've been a part of for so long, and delivering it to a fan that in the UK that's just now kind of understanding this game and is excited about it, but wants to learn more. So I, I take a real pride in that aspect. So uh, yeah, please uh, connect with me on Twitter, and I'll do my best to, to try to answer some questions and, and put some thought-provoking stuff out there. Rocky Boyman, thanks ever so much for coming Thank on North you. London 40. Guys, thanks so much. Anytime. So that was Rocky Boyman. You heard how you can check him out as part of the radio coverage. So if you are not near a TV or you want to watch TV and listen to the radio mm-hmm. coverage. If you're driving back from the game on Sunday. Four words that are going to stick with me mm-hmm. through this. Yes. Theatre of the mind. See, this is what... I think of theatre of the mind and I think of what life was like before pornography on the internet. But in reality, it, it really was radio. Old school hip-hop reference here, the people that are my age, I can just think of ghettos of the mind. Being said in Rocky Boyman speak, <laughs> theatre of the mind. That's all. I can't get that out of my head anyway. What a top bloke, and he's going to be doing an excellent job on the BBC this weekend for absolute sure. Him and Darren Fletcher on the ones and twos. There you go. It's time for another guest. Yes. Guest time. So... We're thinking about guests to get on our final pod pre-Super Bowl. And what we thought we'd do is we'd get our first ever guest back on North London 40. Some symmetry. Yeah. Yeah. Start it, bookend it, and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And not only is he helping us to be symmetrical, he's also one of our favourite London-based NFL and all things football talkers. One of the coaches of the London Blitz, Joe Cohen... Our Cleveland Browns fan, how's it going? Hey guys, thanks for bringing me back on. It's great to uh, end the season as we started it in a way. 
It is, and I think it's it's a good time to reflect. I've listened back to some of our early podcasts around predictions and some of the things that we were thinking. I don't think anybody could have predicted some of the subplots that have happened so far this season in 2012-2013. We'll talk about the Super Bowl in a minute, but let's talk about the season. What is this season, 2012-2013, going to be remembered for? I think it gets remembered for guys coming from college who can play right away. And when I mean play, I mean play. Not just contribute a little bit, but come in and dominate. I don't think we've ever seen, particularly at the quarterback position, which is the story, but I don't think we've ever seen a year where so many guys have come out of college and slotted right in and have been hugely contributing players. And I think it's changed the game fundamentally. It's changed the way that teams are going to look at the draft fundamentally. You guys all know I'm a Browns fan. There's a guy named Mitchell Schwartz who they drafted in the second round out of Cal, put in at right tackle, played the entire season at right tackle, and was graded out number eight in the AFC for the entire season. So th- you know this is, this is not only the RG3 story, but it's a broader story about guys coming out and really being able to play right away, and I think there's a number of factors that, that have created this. It's definitely a story amongst a number of incredible stories, stories we forget replacement referees and and all sorts of crazy things and Ray Lewis and, and we'll get to him in a bit I'm sure the draft is coming up after this season we've got a couple of British guys in the draft this season it's kind of interesting and a German guy as well who might be getting picked number two by Jacksonville in the last dra- mock draft I saw we do and there's also an Estonian guy who I just saw playing the senior bowl this week who seem to be able to contribute. And so there's another thread, which is the globalization of American football. And I think we see it in London with the popularity of the sport here. And this is how it all happens, right? You get the push in some places outside the U.S. You get guys starting to play the sport at younger and younger ages, getting into the sport at younger and younger ages. And they grow up playing the sport and being passionate about the sport. And then start to get hometown heroes. And this is how the whole thing builds. And I think we're at the dawn, in a way, of American football really becoming a global sport. Well, let's hope so. Globalization is obviously a great thing. And it's never been easier with the world that we live in today. We were just chatting before the podcast that, you know, we've never seen so many Super Bowl parties in London. You know, there's so many opportunities now. And it's a springboard. You know, we're going back to maybe the mid-80s on that platform. And we'll definitely see kind of how it goes. But I think you make a great point that... Not only did those guys come in ready to play, they came in to bring the game to another level of excitement. Being able to go into this game and being able to say to people, oh, you need to watch this game because of Colin Kaepernick and what he can do. And describing him, his kind of sporting alter ego in other sports. No disrespect to Joe Flacco at all. Has played tremendously well in the playoffs. He's going to earn himself a great contract. But it's, it's hard to kind of describe him. Whereas these players that have come in have just taken this game to a new level of excitement, which is best for everyone, but especially for new fans. You know, if you start to look back at this in a historical context, so I'm I'm a big Joe Flacco fan, and you guys know that already. And I've been having this debate with someone uh, I know who's not a Joe Flacco fan. If you start to look in a historical context at players playing within an era where the era was dominated by different things, and you go back 10 years ago and you say Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl, Well, how did that happen? Well, you know, that was an era where defense and game management was what you wanted out of a quarterback because the rules and the game had gotten to a point where it was a slowed-down game, it was defensively focused, it was not as entertaining to watch, right? And if a guy could come in and could manage an offense and not make mistakes and not lose a game for you and allow your defense to keep you in the game, that was good enough. Game's changed now, right? The rules have been changed the players have changed. The game is much faster, more scoring, more offensively dominated, and you need a different kind of player to be dominant in that era. It's clearly by design, and it's uh, you know a much more entertaining game to watch today than it was 10 years ago. There's no question about it. You go through those playoff games, right, completely unpredictable. You think about Atlanta going up 17-0 in that game, and you think, you know what, this thing's over. And you saw that a couple of times in the playoffs where games got lopsided early and didn't really matter, right? Because teams can score at will now. And it's become like basketball when you got Magic and Larry coming into the game and Michael coming into the game where it changed it completely. And I think we're seeing that happen in the NFL now. You're obviously someone that's been a follower of the game for many years. 
and have grown up in the US, have that perspective, followed your team, Cleveland, from the year dot, and you've grown up watching a certain style of football and a certain style of team and a, watching the sport grow over the years. He's laughing, but he, he kind Terrible of Terrible style of football yeah, yeah. in Cleveland. Well, yeah. I guess this is a question that I will ask. Is like, look, if there are young kids listening to this podcast and watching the NFL and watching Russell Wilson and watching RG3 and watching Colin Kaepernick and saying, look, these guys are defining this sport with this astounding level of play. I love this. I love where this is going. Is there any ill will potentially from quote-unquote traditionalists trying to pick a hole in this to say, look, I don't know the way, I don't like the way this is going. You know, this isn't the game I watched with. You know, this is all changing. Because the great thing is, from my perspective, is I've not seen any of that. Yeah, I think the, I think there probably is, but those are the people who didn't like face masks in the first place, right? Who want to still play with leather helmets. And the game changes and the game moves on and it reflects society and what we want to watch and the kind of players that we have. And you think about guys in the NFL today and the way that nutrition and training have changed. You know, there's no there are no fat football players anymore, right? These guys are all trim and athletic and lean and big. Yeah. But even Vince Wolfrick, right, moves. I mean, Nagata, those guys move at incredibly fast pace over a short period of ground, short amount of ground. So the game has, has, you know, reflects the kind of players and the kind of society that we have now. And um, I think there are traditionalists who say they don't like it, but the reality is that it's far more entertaining today than it ever was. What do you think was the best media story of this past season? Personally, I think the the best media story of the season has to be Manti Teo. It's the most recent one, <laughs> just because it is so bizarre and strange. Uh, and let me just stop for a second and say, I think up until that point, RG3 would be the best media story of the season mm-hmm. because of the way this guy has come in, not only dominated, but the kind of leader that he is. Like, he is unflappable. You know, he's, he's he was elected captain by his team. Mm-hmm. He was able to play the game and alter his game and adapt in a whole bunch of different ways. Off the field, he was as impressive, if not more so, than he was on the field. But the Teo story just kind of blows everything away because it's such a strange and bizarre and twisted story. And for me personally, a story coming out of Notre Dame makes it even better, right? Because <laughs> I've been a lifelong hater on Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, for, for what they've done in football and how they've portrayed themselves and what they really are. And the Teo story will run and run and run and run for a long time. We've not heard the end of this. We, as James said, we may not have even heard the beginning of this. But just the bizarre nature of it, to me, is, is it transcends football, I mean, by a hundred times. Do you think it's a story that will sort of be redemptive? Because America does love a redemption story. Do you think that... Any, anything he does in the future, do you think that his story will get cast as a redemptive story afterwards? Everyone's story in America, where there is a fall, mm-hmm. there's always a cover of People magazine after that. The lessons I've learned and mm-hmm. how I'm not a bad person. So that always happens. And that, you know, F. Scott, F. Scott Fitzgerald said there is no second chapter in American life. He was totally wrong. There's a second, third, fourth, and fifth chapter yeah. in American life. And... Once American culture has grabbed onto you, whether we love you or hate you, you will be part of the cultural narrative. We've got one game still to come. It is the big one. It is the Super Bowl. I think the two right teams made it, Joe? I think the two right teams made it. So if there's one theme that I got out of the playoffs this year, is that when you get into January in the NFL, mistakes will cost you. You can't make a mistake. Because if you do, it will cost you. It's likely to cost you a game. Colin Kaepernick is in the Super Bowl largely because he hasn't made a rookie mistake. He's made a couple of mistakes, but they haven't been at a time where it really mattered. You know, you ask Peyton Manning what a mistake costs you throwing late across the middle. You ask Wes Welker what a mistake costs you not catching a ball that he's caught a thousand times. Two years in a row. Two years in a row. Guys are playing at such a high level. These games are so tight. They're so close. One mistake will send you home for the year. It makes it so much more exciting and intense because you know that you're trying to play at a high level and not have that big error. And I think the two teams that have not made big mistakes are here. And the two teams that have gotten hot at the right time are here. And, you know, you start to break down these teams. 
you know, Baltimore to me is just an amazing, amazing story because they, they kind of have no business being here given the way they played in the regular season. But it, you know what? You look back last year, the Giants had no business being in the playoffs. You know, we were 10 weeks into the NFL season of 2011, and there were people in the press in New York calling for Tom Coughlin's head. No one remembers that. They said he's, he, the game's past him, he's finished, he's over. Now the guy's going into Canton for the second Super Bowl. So I, I think there is something now that the season is so long, it's kind of become like baseball or like basketball, where you want to get hot at the right time. Yeah, I was about to say that um, the Ravens this year sort of remind me of the Spurs in, in the NBA, a sort of a veteran team that does enough to get into the playoffs, and then when it really matters, they turn it on. We dumped on the Ravens on this podcast in the back third of this season. They were playing like a terrible team. They looked, they didn't even look capable of making the playoffs. Uh, and this is with the same outfit. The Cam Cameron decision was made. He was replaced with Jim Caldwell. He came out in the media this week and, and stood by the decision, so kudos to him. But, like, look, peaking at the right time, but, look, intangibles, we talk about it all the time. This is a sport where intangibles seem to matter. Why they matter more in this sport than they do with some of the more mainstream sports that we follow, maybe that's an American thing. I don't know. I can't describe it. Post Ray Lewis, that decision, this is a different team. All stats will back that up. Well, it's a totally different team. And the great irony of that is, particularly the last two games, Ray Lewis has been such a liability defensively for this team. They've been playing 10 on 11 defensively. And, but you know what? It's raised everyone else's game. And so those 10, those other 10 who are playing, are playing at such a level right now that they're able to cover up for him. Frankly, I think Ed Reed's kind of disappeared in the playoffs as well, right, if you think about it. But, you know, you look at those two corners for Baltimore, those guys have stepped up in a huge way. I mean, huge way. They have been completely shut down throughout this playoffs. And, you know, other guys are step, stepping up. Paul Kruger, right, had a good regular season. Now looks like J.J. Watt at number 99, Right, Terrell Suggs obviously is still not back to where he should be, and I think they need a big game out of him. Nagata's healthy now, playing good again. You know, the great irony of this whole thing is that uh, I expect San Francisco to throw to Vernon Davis on first down a lot, try to hit those seams because Ray just can't cover anybody right now. I think you're right, and I think when you can get plays out of additional players on your roster. You say Corey Graham has been lights out. Bernard Pollard, we know he was going to have a great game against the Patriots, and he did. Real team effort. Despite the Denver game, this is a really strong team on special teams as well. So put that, put that aside. It is a really strong team on special team. Let's go to the Niners. You mentioned Vernus Davis. You mentioned how much of a weapon he is. Let's talk about this Niners team in the NFC. Best team in the NFC. They deserve to be there. What's so good about this Niners team? So the Niners team um, starts with the offensive line. It's the best offensive line in football. I mean, they've graded out the best every week of the season consistently. You know, Joe Staley is just a stud, probably second to Joe Thomas of the Cleveland Browns uh, at, at left tackle in the league. Really incredible. And just, you know, number one run, rushing offense in the league. Um, not top in passing offense in terms of the offensive line, but certainly over the playoffs have been great. And so they've been really solid up front. You know, Frank Gore is kind of an interesting story because he's kind of the mirror of Ray Rice. They're both crushing backs who don't get the credit they should get in this league, but will consistently just pound you, pound you, pound you. I would not want to be in a one-on-one drill with either of those guys, no matter how big or small I would be. I mean, Gore is just a consistent guy who will pound away at you. If you look at the receivers, you know, we know what Vernon Davis did last week. Randy Moss, a really interesting story in just shutting up and making plays when they need to. The big story, I think, in the playoffs is Michael Crabtree. Since Kaepernick has come in at quarterback, he's gone from six targets a game to ten targets a game. It's a huge increase, and his yards after catch have increased greatly. So there's, there's clearly a relationship there between Kaepernick and Crabtree that Alex Smith did not have with Crabtree and a level of faith that he didn't have with Crabtree that's really changed its offense. That's right. And if you look at last year's NFC Championship games, one of the big slights on the Niners was their absolutely lack of any production at the wide receiver position in that game whatsoever. We've asked guests on the pod this hypothetical question. Do the Niners still make it in this game without Alex Smith? And the most ardent of 49ers fans, A.K. Frank, will say, yes, they, yes, they will. They're that good. And you know what? I've been thinking about this a lot. And I think... 
it's not convincing, but it's possible. But as you say, not only has Kaepernick created himself to be such a mobile running threat and a deeper arm threat, he's been able to connect with those receivers in a way that Smith hadn't done. And Smith to Davis was a successful part of the Niners' offense. Has been for two or three years. It was fantastic. One of the craziest sensations of watching the Falcons game was when they went down to the Falcons, and for two series, they just hit Davis consistently, and he was wide open. You're looking at it going, who's this guy? Right? Where's yeah. this guy been? You know, yeah, this, this by the way, the Falcons' defense play in practice every day against a pretty good tight end. Yeah, right. and you're like, this is this is another crease, and you're like, oh, forgot about this. You know, this isn't part of the pistol offense. This is another weapon. So, you know, I think this team offensively has so many weapons. It's going to be a really, really good matchup. So, just after James just mentioned that there are so many different weapons, Joe, I want to know who is going to be the X factor in this game. So. I there are a couple players who I think could be X-Factors in this game. Um, one is there's a guy who has not had a big play in a long time who I think is due for a big play, and that's Ted Ginn. Didn't see that one coming. Right, no. okay. Right, so I, I would not be surprised to see Ted Ginn have a big play in this game. He's not. I think the big X-Factor in this game on the other side is Torrey Smith. Torrey Smith has had some great games and had other games where he's not shown up at all. It's very clear from the last couple of weeks the 49ers – defensive backfield has been exposed, right? It's not a very good defensive backfield. And it's only because their front seven can bring so much pressure on you that they're able to get by. If Torrey Smith shows up, I think it's a very difficult game for San Francisco. If he has, because we know Bolden's going to have a great game. And we know that Flacco loves Pitta. And he's going to find Pitta in key situations. But if Torrey Smith can stretch the field, I don't know how San Francisco is going to be able to stop them from scoring. It's just such an exciting prospect. Two teams with not only multiple weapons on both sides of the ball, match up really, really well. Just can't wait for it to get started. X-Factor players, Joe mentioned Torrey Smith, and it's an excellent shout, but you know, there's others, right? On LaMichael James for the San Francisco 49ers stepped up big time in the last round. He's an exciting talent. And these are guys that, you know, these are guys that get mentioned as we go down through the roster. Randy Moss, no one's talking about him. Okay, everyone knows what he can do or, or has to in the past. So, so exciting. So, Joe, we're going to force you to nail your colours to the mast here. We appreciate your Cleveland Browns connection, so we appreciate that you will potentially steer a certain way. But let's get down to the money. People are looking at this game. They want to part with some of their hard-earned English pounds. Betting is something that is legal in this country, and we can endorse it. We can talk about it all we want. People want to bet on this and should bet on this because it adds an, an exciting element to the game, obviously, small bets only. Where should be, people be putting their money? You know, we just talked about the fact that the 49ers' defensive backfield was exposed last week, right? Which means if the 49ers want to stop Baltimore, they're going to have to blitz. If you look back against the Patriots game, and by the way, the Patriots' defensive backfield is probably similar to the 49ers in some way. Probably not as good, but similar to the 49ers in some way. When they blitzed Flacco last week, his passer rating was 119 and two touchdowns. The guy is so cool under pressure. And I tend to think that Kaepernick ends up making the rookie mistake in this game. Right? I think it's going to happen. So as hard as it is for me, I'm siding with Baltimore. I'm a money line better when it comes to betting. Um, the other thing, you know, is say if you look at the playoffs this year, all the overs have come in pretty much. There haven't been very many unders games. So I think you stay with the overs because you've got to think a lot of points are going to get scored and it's going to stay close. But in the end, I kind of like Baltimore's ability to continue to score under pressure and the fact that when you bring pressure against Flacco, he just gets better. Is the line still four on this game? It is, yeah. In terms of attendees at the game, you have to be thinking it's going to be 65 to 75% Niners in the crowd, right? has to be, right? So it's another road game for the Ravens, right? So... And we've seen this with the Giants. You get these road games, no one's, everyone's against us type momentum. That can work in your favor. They absolutely can. And, and look, Baltimore has shown repeatedly, right, that they can go on the road and win. It's an amazing stat now that there is no quarterback who's ever played in the NFL with more road playoff wins than Joe Flacco. It's an amazing stat. 
It is an amazing stat, and I think it shows his consistency. I think it shows um, the consistency of the team. There is also no... Um, I think the stat is over the last five years, no NFL head coach has won more playoff games than John Harbaugh. And those two um, have been in this together for that period of time and shows incredible consistency. So, look, if you want a part of your hard-earned money... Can't really argue with Joe. I think that it's it's a really hard one to call. But in all this kind of don't put money on Joe Flacco because you're going to lose. You know that's gone. That's gone for absolute sure. Let's talk about the Super Bowl. Let's talk about the occasion. So why, if people haven't stayed up for any of the late games all season, why is this the one that they absolutely have to stay up for? And how can they enhance the experience? What is the key to this? as an experience for British people out there listening today? Well, it's the marquee game of the year, right? It's the Super Bowl. It's the one for all the marbles. So you start out that this is it. You know, it's all going to come down to this game. Number two, it's a great matchup. I think everyone agrees this year that we have two teams that are incredibly evenly matched in a lot of ways, both who've fought through the season, had their ups and downs through the season, have their own different stories going on. You've got the Kaepernick story on one side. You've got the Ray Lewis story on the other side. You've got the brothers story going on for those who care about it. So there's, there's a lot of undercurrents to the game, which are really interesting drama in addition to the game itself. How do you enhance it? Look, as you said before, there's tons of places to go if you want to sit in a crowd and watch it with a whole bunch of different people. There are a bunch of online tools that you can go on NFL.com and a whole bunch of other places, get more and more info about the game, second screen stuff while you're watching the game to make it more interesting. And, you know, it's just one of these events that um, has always been a huge marquee event. And in this year, we also have a great lineup and a great matchup. So for those uh, those listeners that are listening at home, and let's say you're going to be watching the game at home, what would you suggest, apart from, you mentioned the second screen stuff as well, what would you suggest maybe they eat, they drink? <laughs> you know, when it comes to Super Bowls, I'm a big pizza fan. Um, and so, you know, whether your predilection is uh, Domino's Pizza Hut, Papa John's, or something local, or even homemade, pizza can't be beat when it comes to the Super Bowl. It's got to be Papa John's, official pizza of the NFL, surely. He's given a million away, right? He's given a million pizzas away. Yeah. No, there is. There is a Papa John's pizza deal in the UK. There is. I think they're giving them away. West Hampstead. Oh, no, they're not giving them away, but there's a chance. If you, I think there's still a chance. If you, if you buy a Papa John's pizza, you get um, entered into the draw to get Super Bash tickets. So there is, again, there is an NFL time to get Papa John's. So that's, that's all part of it. Joe, whenever you're on the podcast, we have to mention Cleveland Browns. Lots of changes in the off-season over in Cleveland. Yep. You've got a new head coach, Rob Chudzinski, from, yep. the, from the Jacksonville Jaguars. But maybe what's gained more media attention, possibly the finest pundit in this sport globally, or co-finest with Mike Mayock, uh, Michael Lombardi from NFL Network and NFL.com has returned to his GM status and is retaken up his position as a GM of the Cleveland Browns. Now, people could say, oh, just because he's great on TV and he's a great media guy and talks loads of sense doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a great GM and stuff. I'm going to challenge that theory because I'm going to say, look, so many of them are bad both. I'm going to say that this guy is just he has such an insight, knowledge to the game. And maybe being away, he's seen it from the media angle, he's going to bring something different to the team. What do you think about the, uh, the Lombardi selection? Well, first I'll say, in the town of Cleveland, there's a lot of people who have lit themselves on fire over the naming of Lombardi as VP of player personnel. They're not happy about it at all. Mostly starting with his last stint as GM in Cleveland when Bill Belichick was coaching there in the mid-'90s, and there was a great um, documentary this past year about that last season in Cleveland before the team moved to Baltimore that Lombardi is one of the featured people in to tell you about it. So there's a lot of people in Cleveland who are very negative on Lombardi. In addition, in this past year's draft, when the Browns drafted uh, Brandon Whedon, Lombardi went on TV and said it was a wasted pick. So now he's the GM of the team where that's the starting quarterback who he said was a wasted pick. 
right? So he's got some issues there. Um, he also said that... Uh, Not really. Just get rid of him. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, unfortunately, he's got a head coach now who wants to tro- throw the ball down the field, and that's what Whedon does, throw the ball down the field. So there's some fences to be mended there, and I think there's going to be a lot of people who will write negative stories about him in the press in Cleveland before he's even started, won't give him the chance, and will start the negative drum beat right away. And there's a negative tenor to the press in Cleveland because they've lost for so long. And so there isn't a lot of positivity. Tony Grossi, who's one of the big sports writers on the cover, the Browns beat in Cleveland, actually almost came to fisticuffs with Lombardi back his last time. So I imagine there will be some interesting stories that get written there. I'm not as negative about it as some other people. I think the interesting thing about Lombardi is that in his time at NFL Network, he clearly has gotten every single coach and GM in the NFL to open up to him and build a relationship with him. And that can only serve him well if he wants to do deals, if he wants to talk about players, he wants to understand what's going on. It's only going to serve him well. And, you know, he, like everybody else, has grown up over the last 15, 20 years. We can't really speak for his actual, what he does behind closed doors and his GM responsibilities. We can only really deal with the media personality he's developed into, as we should. But I think the the thing for me that really stands out about Mike is, he won't answer a question. And Mike Mayock's the same. It's like, he will not be forced to answer a question until he says, I haven't watched the tape on it. I haven't analyzed the tape on that. And spends his days at NFL headquarters analyzing tape. We are surrounded by media in all sorts of sport. Honestly, the vast majority of them, I don't know what games they're watching, but they have the same games that we're watching, right? So for that alone that he's actually doing that and looking at the right stuff and taking the time to do that and look at the right things in a sport where it's so crucial. You know, I think it, I think it's an exciting franchise. I think some young talent there. More young talent will be on board next season. You know, I think, you know, Joe, remember when he was on the podcast at the start of this season? He was full of expectation and he doesn't hide the fact he always is. But next season, maybe just a little bit more. What do you think? Maybe a little more. I mean, so just to finish that last point, the interesting thing about Lombardi's press conference when he was introduced in Cleveland, and they asked him about his comments about Whedon and some of the other players, Josh Gordon and a few others, he said, look, you know, it's different when you're in the life of a team every day and you're able to watch the tapes of practice and see if guys are picking up the game plan during the week and see if they're getting better over the course of the week versus just 10 minutes of game film, which is what he watches at NFL Network now. And to your point, James, I I think it was a really, um, it was a thoughtful response to say, well, there's a dynamic here about how things go within the club that I really need to understand before I make those decisions. Am I uh, encouraged for the Browns next year? Yeah, I always am. And so, you know, great offensive line. I think this year... For the Browns, the receivers really stepped up. We found out that Josh Gordon could play. Um, there's a couple of other guys who decided they could play. Greg Little stepped up, definitely played. Ben Watson continues to be consistent, and his skills have not diminished uh, over the past few years. Um, and, you know, Whedon is still a question. Defensively, I thought they played pretty well this year. They certainly need somebody who can get to the quarterback and put pressure on the quarterback. But this is a team that if they had a coach the past year who had experience as an NFL coach, would have been a 500 team. There were some decisions made that cost them two or three games that they easily could have been a 500 team. And as a 500 team, you're in the playoff hunt. Any, what's the situation with the cap room? They got any cap room there? Got any difficult decisions? Can they go out after anyone decent? They actually have quite a bit of cap room. I think they have the most cap room in the division right now. Um, and, you know, we shall see. They also have, uh, I, I believe, the sixth or seventh pick in the first round. Um, it's kind of a tough spot this year, it seems like, because there's a fall off after the first couple of players. So I wouldn't be surprised to see if those guys could trade down to get a couple more picks this year. They might do that. So, Joe, post-Super Bowl, you're going to be coaching up the London Blitz. What's the latest with the Blitz? Can people come down and still join in early season training? What's happening with the London Blitz at this point of the season? Yeah, London Blitz is still in, in early season mode. Um, we've got a development squad and an elite squad, and the way that that's been organized this year for the first time with a development squad is for guys who are coming in just starting out, and we'll get a, a development squad with their own games against other clubs and other development squads. All oh, right. Right, so they can actually get into some games and play. And as a development player in the past, you were 
there for practice, and maybe you'd make the roster, maybe you wouldn't. You'd be on the sideline for games potentially. This year you'll get a chance to play, which I think is going to make a big difference in bringing some guys along. It was amazing the first uh, practice of the year. We had 90 guys out, uh, which I think was a record for, for the club. And while there are some guys last year who've moved on and kind of decided to hang it up and not play anymore, uh, there's a whole bunch of new guys coming in now, and, and it's going to be an exciting season. You know, we're, we're four-time defending British champions. Uh, we're, we're constantly pressed by the upstarts who want to come and take the title. We'll play back in Europe again this year. Uh, so it's going to be an exciting year for the club. Okay, but the season starts April? May. Season starts in May. Okay. So remember, you're London-based anywhere. You're nationally based. You want to go out and try this sport out. Inye and I and Joe, we've all done it in our youth and can thoroughly recommend it. It's definitely worth checking out. Ignore the weather. Um, go out there and check it out. There's teams all over the country, not just the Blitz, but we see them. They follow us on Twitter. They're all over the place. It's really, really vibrant. And um, But, yeah, if you don't get a chance to do that, then make sure you go check out some games. Um, there's the, obviously the big rivalry game, London Blitz, London Warriors. I'm sure that will be talked about when that comes out in the schedule. So it's a fixture that everyone looks forward to in the London area. Joe, you're our first guest. You've been one of our last guests this season. We want to thank you. Hey, guys, thank you so much. I, th- I think what you've created with the pod this year has been fantastic. It's the first year. You've really kind of put yourselves on the map, and uh, you've done a great job, and I'm looking forward to next season and getting going with it already. So that was Joe Cohen. Cleveland Joe Brown. I don't know why. That's just what – I'm trying to come up with nicknames for him. I think that's what I'm going with. He might be looking for a new Twitter handle, so okay. maybe that's it. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Cleveland Joe Brown. Bit close to Clinbra. Yeah, yeah, why not? What do we think, listeners? He should have that. Thanks for checking us out. As we said, we will be back Wednesday for part two of this podcast. Jamie Cuttridge, Arlo White, joining us for lots more pod fun. Our last pod pre the Super Bowl. Check us out. Check us out on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. We have been North London 40. Take care.